welcome to episode 7 of the MTG Conflux cast. My name is John, and I'm joined today by my co-host Chris. Steven's off enjoying a well-deserved vacation, and while he's away, we've got a special episode for you all. Today we're going to be talking about all things Legacy, why it's a great format, and why you should be playing it. But first, let's kick things off with a... Side note on Modern, there was a SCG Modern Open this weekend. Uh, Blue Red Storm took down the event, and we've got our uh, resident Storm expert, Zach, here to uh, talk with us a little bit about the deck. Yeah, so Storm took down the tournament. Um, There are actually two Storm decks with gifts in the top eight. Both of those decks were running Opt, incorporating the... uh, at least the winner is incorporating the Noxious Revival tech. Just lets you put a card from your graveyard back on top of your library. Other than that, the lists are pretty standard. With the winner, interestingly, they have no fetch lands. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Because you play um, Storm yourself. Yeah, and I've been playing fetch lands, but I looked at this and then I realized that Sleight of Hand puts a card you don't want on the bottom of your library. Saren Vision scries cards to the bottom of your library, you know, so, you know, and Opt does the same thing. You're just putting unwanted cards on the bottom of your library, so if you don't shuffle them back in, then that's good. And really, I mean, the Storm deck, the way it's set up now, it's really a two-card combo most of the time. You know, you need a Baral or an Electromancer in play, uh, and then you want to cast Gifts Ungiven. So basically, you just want to scry everything to the bottom until you get a Baral in play, and then, okay, now I cast Gifts Ungiven. At which point, Gifts would shuffle your deck, but it doesn't matter because you're getting whatever you need out of it. Mm-hmm. And you might need some of that stuff anyways at this point because you're going to start going off and, and tearing through your deck, right? Exactly. But I just thought that was... Yeah, like stuff you didn't want before. An interesting way to take advantage of the scry, you know, by making sure you're not shuffling it back in. Just something, you know, good players will think about. Like, do I want to shuffle all those bad cards back in when I'm digging for something? But this deck is actually built to abuse that. And also, I liked the... If you notice, there's two islands and two snow-covered islands. I believe that is so that they can easily search up islands with their gifts ungiven. You know, they're different names, so you put them in the pile and you get what you want so how often do you find yourself gifting for for lands um not that often but what does happen sometimes is in the more grindy games you're you cast gifts on given as kind of a value gifts and so sometimes you're just trying to build your mana over a few turns and while it's nice to have a a ritual lands are frequently better because you know you get them in play and then you have mana every turn now they don't count for your storm obviously but just that building up that total amount of mana is pretty important gotcha i'm seeing more and more it seems like that four pieces of the puzzle end up in uh in the sideboard of the storm deck what uh what type of matches are you bringing in pieces of the puzzle pieces of the puzzle is any time where the game is kind of going going to go long i mean it costs three mana so it's not cheap but that's you know when you want that like for example if you're playing against jund um or a deck like that that's you know going to be making you discard or has a lot of a lot of disruption for you then you can take your time and kind of craft that perfect hand and pieces of the puzzle if i mean it's top five cards and you put two instants or sorceries well other than lands and your you know obviously your your six creatures you're all instants and sorceries so it is in a, a lot of ways kind of like almost dig through time for this deck um, and that card is banned so when you need that effect when you just need extra cards and you're just trying to build up a critical mass to go off through disruption it's very good for that uh, you're not going to want it against something that's pressuring you because it's you know it's for the long game Is this kind of basically coming into the same matchups as decks that sideboard for Ancestral Visions? Like, just the same kind of uh, idea? 
you just bring the four in against the mid-range decks. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that that's a good way to think of it. You know, it's card advantage doesn't always matter in Storm because you're just trying to set up a combo kill, but it can matter, and, and in certain matchups it does. So that's, you know, uh, I think the Ancestral Vision is a, a good comparison. Uh, I also want to point out with, with Noxious Revival and Gifts Ungiven, that allows you to uh, pretty reliably get whatever it is you want. For example, if you need Goblin Electromancer, well, you can do Electromancer and Baral, and then the Noxious Revival. And no matter what they give you, they can put, you know, Baral and Electromancer in your graveyard, but then you just put it back on top of your library, and you're able to get it that way. It also can save cards from your graveyard uh, that you need to go off. For example, maybe all your Storm cards are in the graveyard, and so you can rebuy it also as a way to get around graveyard hate because they can't you know they're not going to be able to exile that key piece if you put it back on top of your library i'd imagine it's pretty pretty good against something like surgical extraction you can just take away whatever they're targeting and yeah fizzle through you, spell. you can do it in response and that actually would target so yeah so then I, I believe that that would make surgical fizzle right yeah one phyrexian mana versus another as <laughs> richard garfield intended Exactly, yes. Just pain life. Yeah, actually, I've cast Noxious Revival a couple times just targeting anything. It's irrelevant other than that it's one storm. So it is surprisingly useful in just in so many ways. I mean, it's great in a gifts pile, but it's just so many times, you know, especially with all the cantrips. Uh, oh, you need another another ritual? All right, you got it. You need another... Uh, you need to change your mana colors with Manamorphos? You got it. Another gifts ungiven? It's... With so many cantrips, just and you have sixteen because you have four metamorphos plus all the the blue ones that cost one. It's just it's really good. God, one thing I've from playing against Storm, playing against one mana remands is pretty brutal. Yes, yeah, um, and see, remand is good disrupting your opponent, but I've also used it remanding my grape shot. Yeah, and then basically it doubles my storm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So other than Storm, there were two affinity decks. Yeah, there were two affinity decks in the top eight. I think it might have been just one of those weekends when people didn't have all that graveyard hate like they normally would. Mm -hmm. um, of course, the winner was running Shattering Spree, which is really great in a deck with you know any of the the rituals. Um, and then you know Grixis Shadow, Green White Company. But then two somewhat surprises. Uh, there's a green red Ponza Land Destruction deck. Uh, and blue-green merfolk. So, you know, using the some of the new merfolk from the new set. It, it looks like, you know, modern is is just healthy when you have weird decks like that popping up and actually top-aiding tournaments. Uh, and I think that was emphasized today in the ban and restricted announcement. Uh, no changes to any format, but they did actually mention modern, and they said it was very healthy. Did you guys catch that? Bend over, cough. <laughs> Did you uh, <laughs> did you then see that they said they're maybe gonna unban something? Ooh, was it free twin? The twin will rise again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speculation everywhere, right? Um, and I, I'm sure we'll read about nothing other than that for months, and people are gonna be talking about it. But uh, maybe they'll unban Stoneforge instead. That'd be sweet. Like four four things. Uh, that they could unban maybe maybe five things um but you can't unban all of them at once or you know but any of the five i'd be kind of like okay but other than that i think i'd be pretty shocked right with two storm decks in the top eight i highly doubt they're gonna unban preordain especially after op womp, womp, womp. just just give us preordain ban past in flames all good play me some delver <laughs> just ban grape shot <laughs> no big deal 
But is is it a is it a coincidence that we have a Ponza deck in the top eight and only one Titan Shift list in the top thirty-two? Yeah, there's two Ponza decks in the top thirty-two. There are more Ponza decks in the top thirty-two than Titan Shift. That Ponza deck came with friends, right? Actually, there's three Ponza decks. Good God. Good riddance. And I hate Ponza. <laughs> you know, I gotta say that uh, that deck is probably one of the most miserable decks I've ever played against. It is just so soul crushing to play against that deck sometimes. Actually, another thing about this open, um, on if you look at it on MTG Goldfish, it has like the top creatures, top spells type of thing. It's the top seven top creatures are all affinity creatures. So what is affinity the only playable deck with creatures these days, or what? Apparently, creatures are overrated these days. Yeah, more bobs than snaps. Yeah, apparently that it's like Dark Confidant, Snap, and Hierarch and eight, nine, and ten. I feel like Dark Confidence is a card we haven't been seeing a lot of uh, recently. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, um, Jund and Abzan have really been kind of receding from the format, like someone of bad gum disease. <laughs> and uh... I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's largely due to the fact that um, Titan Shift and Eldrazi Charm are so, so prevalent. Yeah, definitely. Like the, I, I don't know, well, I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't play Green Black X, but I would imagine they have similar size of uh, disappointment when they opponent plays either turn into Tron land or turn one Valakut. Yeah, they're both pretty, pretty bad. Pretty, pretty bad matchups. So speaking of Dark Confidants, we have this, uh, this here Mardu list. Got 21st place. And what do you, what do you think, John? <laughs> I think he's a very brave boy. <laughs> but, Two Goblin Dark Dwellers, two Chandra Torch of Defiance, and two Gideon of Allies in the car. He, uh, he offsets the uh, life loss with a single copy of Lightning Helix. And that, that sweet, sweet uh, single Collector Brutality. Ah, uh, yes. And uh, he just tops off the uh, self-hurt with uh, three copies of Thoughtseize. So uh feels like this guy's probably bringing his own life total pretty low on some unlucky hits off Dark Confidant. But I mean, he even has a bunch of three drops. Three Liliana of the Veil, a Colgan's Command, three Lingering Souls. Yeah. I mean, how does this stack up against, like, a normal Jun deck? Usually have, like, what, two, maybe three, four drops? I think the curve on average is a lot higher than any sort of Jun deck. Let's compare. Let's compare. There's the 26th place Jund list. They have three Rabble Masters, four Liliana of the Veils, two Colgan's Command, and a Maelstrom Pulse. That is seven, eight, nine, ten three drops, no four drops. Over here on this side, we have four four drops, two five drops, uh, and then for threes, we have... We have seven three drops. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's not as bad as it looks on paper, but it just seems a little brave. I mean, if you just hit, you know, lands every single turn, then it's pretty pretty fantastic. Yeah, man. That's how you get to 21st place. <laughs> But uh, all things aside, I think Lingering Souls is in a pretty good place right now. You know, we were talking um, a few weeks back. It's been a while now, actually. I don't don't know if you remember, but uh, you weren't here at this point. But I don't know if you were listening at home. But we were talking about how um, with, you know, stuff like Titan Shift being such a big part of the format and Storm, that Lingering Souls wasn't exactly where you wanted to be. Now we've seen a bit of a a decline in the Titan decks, but a resurgence in, in Storm decks. Maybe Lingering Souls is a little bit better positioned now than it was. Yeah, I mean, Lingering Souls is very good against Affinity, from what I understand. Yeah, it's great. And so, I mean, I guess 
if you're worried about Affinity and Storm, playing a deck with a ton of discard and a bunch of Lingering Souls doesn't seem like the worst place to be. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, at that point, why not play Junk, right? Um, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe Marta just closes the door faster than, than Junk does. Yeah, getting to play Lightning Bolt's pretty nice. And, you know, you get... Because I don't know if um, Junk typically plays Dark Confidant. I don't believe so. Right? Um... I mean, it depends on the build. I guess Some like do. the uh, the lower the ground versions with like flares and stuff, they're more likely to want mm-hmm. one bobs. But the more traditional, like you know, all rhino builds or whatever. It's it's interesting. We were talking about how you know the top creatures in the format were all affinity creatures, and you know, I wonder if that points to a format with a low number of creatures overall at this tournament. Or, but I mean, this Mardu deck, you know, you get three fatal push, three lightning bolt, three path to exile, a dreadbore, a lightning helix. I this deck is. A, extremely well situated against other creature decks especially affinity even with like grim lava mancer yeah i mean maybe this guy just played affinity all day and crushed him yeah although i will uh briefly mention that this this tough 62 or 32 my my apologies um does look pretty well uh situated for for a swan deck to come in and wreak some havoc yeah they pretty soft to blood moon is that what you're saying yeah, so the Smartu deck, uh, let's see, how, how, is this, how is he doing against Blood Moon? We got a single Plains and a single Swamp. Oh, but he's got a mountain. Oh, lots of mountains. <laughs> <laughs> lots and lots of mountains. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, something else that I noticed about this tournament is um, there's almost no Eldrazi Tron and almost no Grixis Shadow. Yeah, there's like two Grixis Shadowless in the uh, entire top 32, and only one Eldrazi Tron barely making it in at 31st. Uh, one of the Shadow players did make it into top 8, so that's still something to note. Decent conversion. But, yeah, um, I wonder if, if Grixis Shadow is going to start making a comeback now that if, if Titan Shift is on the decline. Yeah, it's definitely a matchup you don't want to play against, whereas Storm is a much better matchup. Yeah, I felt like... Titans of Popularity was the big reason for Creature Shadow kind of disappearing for a little bit. But if Storm is a response to um, Titan Shift, then we, we may have a nice, uh, well, nice, I guess, is depends how you feel about the deck, but um, a little resurgence of Grixis Death Shadow again. Oh man, it's like the closest thing to Delver you can play right now, though. <laughs> so, finishing up on Modern, uh, not exactly the focus of today's cast, but more to talk about that next week. A lot of interesting things going on in the format. I think it's in a really good place right now. Let's move into our weekly roundup, where we're going to talk about uh, what legacy decks we played this week. Chris, what did you play? So, I played Elves. Uh, elves is one of my two legacy deck options, the other being good old Goblin Charbelcher. But I've kind of felt like I should be playing Elves more often than not, because if I want to learn the deck and get better with it, I have to play it more and i kind of feel like there's a bit of a ceiling of how good you can how good a belcher player you can really be is there a ceiling on how much misery you can cause to yourself and everyone around you though um that's up for debate (laughs) it's pretty high well so speaking of miserable decks uh what did you play this uh this week john Oh, I, I chose a, an extremely miserable and very spicy meatball. I played Legacy High Tide. Um, I told everyone I was going to play it. No one believed me. I, I don't know why people were surprised. I said I was going to bring the deck. I'm, I'm, I think, round one playing against a guy that I told I was bringing the deck. I've played two snow-covered islands. 
and I cast my second ponder, or my second preordain of the game. I've got an island preordain, second island preordain, and he like he it clicks. He realizes I'm playing high tide. <laughs> but uh, for those of you who don't know, high tide is a uh, a an interesting mono blue combo deck, uh, kind of unique to Legacy. It uh, seeks to uh, generate a large amount of mana using the card High Tide to make your islands tap for uh, additional blue mana. High Tide stacks, so uh, each additional copy will make each of your islands tap for uh, more and more mana. And um, you use a lot of effects to untap your islands and kind of continue to build up mana and storm. Use uh, Time Spiral as a very key part of the deck. Uh, Time Spiral allows you to shuffle back your hand and grave it into your deck uh, and untap up to six lands. When each of those islands is tapping for two, three, four mana, uh, you can really get ahead on mana and cards at the same time by casting a Time Spiral. Uh, The deck basically sits there after it hits four islands and starts to go off and your opponent gets to stare at you for about... Eh, six to ten minutes as you work through the combo and eventually most likely kill them by uh making them draw their entire deck in one go with blue sun zenith (laughs) so it's uh it's definitely taking all the fun and hoarding it to itself no fun for anyone else just me so one thing to note about high tide is that it is symmetrical all the islands in play now produce additional mana oh it's quite fair so uh, there are times where when you're playing against another blue deck, you kind of have to be wary of them just tapping two lands and playing a force of will. <laughs> that you gave them with your time yeah. spiral. <laughs> yeah. See, see, it's very fair. Like, what are you doing if you're not playing Islands and Legacy, right? Like, <laughs> what, are you, what, are you, what are you doing with your Speaking life? Speaking of having fun with High Tide. So back when, uh, before I knew anything about Magic in the sense of, like, that there were formats or, you know, ban lists... You know, it was just like a kind of a fun, f- fun, you know, kitchen table kind of a thing. I decided that I was going to make this really sweet deck. It was going to be all blue, and it's going to have high tides in it. But, you know, Time Spiral was kind of expensive, and you know what card was really cheap that was also six mana? Couldn't Mine's imagine. Desire. Oh, fair and balanced. So, <laughs> at, at kitchen table level magic, I'm sitting there playing a deck with four minds desires in it. Oh, it's awful. So I go like, oh, you know, high tide, make a bunch of mana, um, play a cloud of fairies, untap some lands, snap my cloud of fairies back to my hand, replay it to make more <laughs> mana and build more storm. Oh, who hurt oh, you? It was amazing. Oh man, I wish I could play that deck in Legacy. <laughs> I'd give up Candelabras to play that. <laughs> Meanwhile, oh, my friends are playing, you know, like, Glory Seekers, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's awful. God, Mind's Desire is such a busted card. I've only ever had an experience playing with it in, in Cube. It's, what, restricted in Vintage, I believe, and banned everywhere else? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you can you can mind's desire into mind's desire, yes, correct? And you cast the spell, so you just get more storm. <laughs> you cast every spell off of oh. the mind's desire. So mind's desire for all of you at home who don't know what this banned card does. Um, it's a storm card from I believe Scourge. Yeah, it's Scourge. And it's six mana. Uh, shuffle your library. Then you can then you exile the top card of your library 
and for the rest of the turn you may cast it for free is it is it is it uh you can stack them up or do you have to cast it as each copy resolves um well it has storm so all the storm you know triggers go on the stack right so mm-hmm. you Mizar has to finish resolving before you resolve any of the the exiled spells. Ah, yes, I see. Yes, that makes so sense. So you shuffle flip, shuffle flip, shuffle flip, shuffle flip, however many times you have Storm, and then you can... Um, I think you... You'd have to go in order? You know, I, I'm saying that you know some of our listeners may actually be very familiar with this fair and balanced magic card, as I see it as legal and commander. Oh. <laughs> Which just seems like an excellent, Why? you know, an excellent format to be resolving this in. Oh my god, this, this card's silly. Yeah, I can, you know, I've I've cast Flusterstorm on Match the Gathering online a number of times, and it Flusterstorm on an opposing Flusterstorm is is like pulling teeth. It's a nightmare. I can't even imagine what resolving Mind's Desire on Moto is like. I think it might actually be really hilarious because it just kind of does things, right? So if they're like, <laughs> if your opponent's F6, you cast Mind's Desire and all of a sudden you have like 15 spells in exile. <laughs> <laughs> like it's got to clutter up the UI pretty oh, bad. Oh, I would imagine so. But then it's like, do you want to cast this? Do you want to cast this? Do you want to cast this? I'm like, yeah, the world I mean, is your oyster. <laughs> sure, why not? seems great Ugh. yeah so so you've used up an entire lifetime's worth of karma <laughs> is what i'm hearing not quite my other um ca- i had another casual deck which had uh dark ritual uh necropotence and ivory tower well i'm beginning to see why you uh ended up coming over to the spike side that makes a lot of sense you were uh primed from an early age <laughs> an early magic playing age to be doing busted and broken the things thing is that and... playing with at the kitchen table before you knew anything uh playing with banned cards was like the best value you could have because they're super cheap it's right? true, like yeah. how much money was it to buy a strip mine so cheap <laughs> it was nothing. like five dollars way less than wasteland was wasteland <laughs> yeah. was still like at yeah. least seventy dollars oh man yeah mine's desire sitting at like a cool 33 cents yeah. here <laughs> i mean to, to an extent, elves can be a little bit of um, a miserable deck to play against as well. Oh, yeah, you were you were high-tighting me. <laughs> because, you know, a lot of the times your combo turn requires you to keep drawing elves. And so, I mean, you're not guaranteed to get there when you're glimpsing off. <laughs> so, just because uh, John decided to play high-tide, I could have just, you know, plussed my Nissa and attacked him for lethal, but instead I decided to glimpse and... Um, try and draw my entire library decided to be a very rude dude so i made john sit there and watch me goldfish for about i don't know eight at least eight i minutes. was i was i was trying to like complete some mental gymnastics to figure out how i could cunning wish into a turnabout and not die that turn and then have literally no draw on my deck that would let me survive and win and instead i just completely missed a winning line so that was real sweet i mean i guess the thing is like if you had just a turnabout, isn't it better for me to to glimpse and draw a whole bunch of cards? Almost certainly. Right? So it you you didn't scoop to me having lethal on board. So to me, either you're dead to me going off with glimpse, you're also dead to me just attacking you. But if you have a turnabout, I'm better off just glimpsing. As far as I as far yeah, as I until knew. You, in, until you get brain frozen. Yeah, it turns out you had a way to to, to bamboozle me real good, but. You thought of it after the I fact. I didn't see it until too late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. 
it's like uh it's always easy to think of it after the fact hindsight's 2020 um but yeah we had a pretty small event and so uh as we finally moved past that uh winding and meandering weekly roundup we're gonna get into the uh the meat of our topic of the week which is uh legacy as a whole um why should you play legacy how does it compare to other formats like modern and uh what type of deck should you play should you play fair unfair something in between um john you've been a pretty big advocate of legacy um you were even what the creator of the legacy facebook page in the in the area i'm not the creator i was the inheritor um there was actually two friends from uh a town i think like over an hour away from here that came into the sacramento area to to get legacy going because there was literally no one who would play in, in their town and there was at least the potential of people playing in sack and so um they kind of both moved on in life due to various circumstances and i was just one of the people who had been showing up at events early on and kind of got dumped into the role of administrating the local facebook group and so uh yeah no one else was really willing to do it at first so i've just kind of found myself in the role of promoting legacy and helping try to schedule stuff with stores for the last couple of years. And, um, we've seen a huge increase in players. We used to, you know, barely be able to, you know, fire, uh, and I think it was like an eight person event, maybe every other month. And, and now we've got stuff three to four, usually, I guess I'd say two to three weekends every month. And our attendance ranges from, um, we had a, a poor showing this Sunday where only eight showed, but normally we're in more like the 20 to 30 range low 30s um depending on on uh what weekend and what store but yeah it's great we've um we've really built a community and i think that's because a lot of people have uh realized what a what a fun format it is to play and we've also managed to uh to steal some some modern players on their weekends because they had a uh, kind of a, a leg up on getting into legacy because of their modern collections so speaking of modern compared to legacy so what what would you say the big differences between modern and legacy are? They obviously uh, they they seem like they could be similar on paper, right? Because you have you have all these fetch lands. You you can I mean obviously uh, dual lands versus shock lands are not that close together, but yeah, you're saying like it's pretty easy for a lot of modern players to get into legacy because it's their card collections. So a lot of the card pools are you know reasonably shared yeah definitely uh it's interesting because you you look at uh, a lot of a lot of legacy decks and i i it seems that you know many of the spells are the really powerful spells are, are not modern legal but the powerful creatures are are modern staples you're used to seeing it at any given you know uh modern tournament you're going to be seeing tarmogoyf your delve threats you're going to be seeing delver of secrets stuff like that there are some creatures that are you know um only legacy legal stuff like mother of runes that have never really been introduced into the modern format because they're just so good but um just cards like baleful strix too yeah the the promotional product cards are a huge avenue for adding uh powerful modern uh creature designs into legacy wizard of the coast is just so much more aggressive in pushing these creatures than they were back in you know the pre i don't know 2000 what do they call it the mythic era when they started doing stuff like um baneslayer angel that was kind of the turning point when Wizards of the Coast really started pushing creatures. And even before then, there'd been a lot of creep versus, you know, the stuff that you used to see play. And so you really see a pairing of these powerful old spells that you used to see play back in, 
you know, Urza block and Ice Age block and just oh, the whole, you know, the whole early history of magic was just chock full of busted spells as Wizards of the Coast kind of tried to figure out what was a relevant baseline power level for the game. And they kind of turned the corner and put a damper on spells. And eventually that that desire for increased, um, you know, power and design space has been kind of placed onto creatures. I think it's kind of interesting is like, if you're a modern player, every time a new set comes out, you, you kind of dig through the set and you look of you look for the, you know, one, two, maybe three cards that might see some play in modern to try and, you know, get a step ahead of the hype or whatever. Legacy, you do that to a lesser extent, but you really look at the supplemental products because that's where they print things like True Name Nemesis, Leovold. Leovold. That's, I mean, <laughs> Scavenging Ooze was first printed in a commander set before it was um, put into a core set. And Scavenging Ooze was very, um, very innocuous, in my opinion. It, it seemed like it didn't really do a ton. It was like, oh, it's, you know, it's neat. And then it kind of, it kind of, uh, was appeared everywhere in in legacy yeah and in modern once it made its way to that format yeah i think there's just there's a lot of space for these kind of core role-playing creatures that wizards has kind of you know been printing recently especially in supplementary products stuff aimed at like edh where they they want to give players flexibility and utility right they want um they want people to be able to tailor tailor make and design their their decks to do powerful things and they want to put it on on a body Partially because Wizards of the Coast likes creatures, and partially because um, it's easier to interact with a creature these days because they've made the counter magic so much poorer in, in recent times. And that's our next very defining aspect of Legacy. The counter magic is great, um, and that's a good thing because Legacy has some amazing combo decks, and the format is really kind of policed by the existence of free counter spells in the format. Force of Will and Days go a long ways towards putting the brakes on these combo decks and keeping them honest, and definitely gives the format a different feel from something like modern um tempo and card advantage are utilized very differently in legacy compared to modern it's you know really interesting um when you play legacy it's actually very rare to have a source of repeated card advantage or even you know quality card advantage that you can sometimes even get in, in a format like modern but your card quality is usually extremely good because the cantrips are just excellent and the filtering is excellent i mean even green gets a card like sylvan library even if you're choosing not to draw the extra cards off sylvan library you still get to look at the top three cards of your deck every turn and choose which one you'd like to draw. You just don't get stuff like that in modern. Could you imagine playing a Sylvan Library in something like, I don't know, uh, a, a Jund deck? Gross. <laughs> yeah. It just you'd take the top three almost every time, right? Like, <laughs> who needs Dark Confidant? You can't bolt a Sylvan Library. <laughs> that you cannot. So I feel like in modern, at least at like FNMs, just, you can kind of play almost whatever you want. And you won't get punished too hardly because there aren't as many of, you know, really fast degenerate combo decks as you might find in legacy so to some extent yeah you can you know if you want to play soldier stompy i mean you can do it but having decks like oops all spells or manless dredge or you know belcher it kind of at least to me makes me really well would make me hesitant to to play a a non-force deck yeah definitely they're the boogeyman of the format right um in in modern wizards has really uh gone out of their way to to clamp down on those decks when you saw it when they unbanned golgari grave troll and then they put it right back on the ban list as soon as it started you know rearing its head at the top tables and lots of events um they don't really do that as much in legacy 
Yeah. The decks are kind of let left to their own devices to run wild. And I think a big part of that is because the tools to answer them are, are much more robust and, and legacy than modern. But I mean, how long has had Miracles been the top deck in Legacy before Top finally received a ban? It was quite a, quite a while. Um, Probably at least three three four years maybe maybe a little bit less than that but yeah it was it was top deck for quite a long time um and i think a big part of that was because it was a a fair deck right yeah it wasn't a an unfair combo deck it sure felt unfair to play against but um <laughs> when you talk about um sucking the fun out of a game playing against uh, counterbalance and sensei's top is pretty miserable yeah it kind of strung you along because you always felt like you had that outside chance of you know maybe making something happen but in reality they usually had the game tied up with a bow on it pretty soon after the countertop block came down they just needed you know a- another brainstorm maybe to really filter the top couple cards and get that 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 one two and maybe even maybe if they were lucky three drop floating on top of the deck and just kind of keep moving them around and shutting off all your avenues to get back into the game each extra land drop they made really kind of shut the door even further so i mean do you think that uh miracles was allowed to kind of run around for as long as it did because answers existed in the format or because wizards just didn't really consider legacy as that high of a priority i definitely think legacy is a format that wizards has much less of its attention on um i think it's the kind of format that they they check on from time to time <laughs> uh you ever that uh that that gif of the guy walking into the house with the box you know the stack of pizza boxes and everything's on fire i feel like that's wizards of the coast like they you know they kind of knock on the door take a peek inside you know i don't know a couple times a year and maybe maybe a couple couple times a year is generous maybe once a year and uh if things aren't burning to the ground they kind of uh close the door and move on with their lives um so yeah, I think it definitely gets a lot less of their attention, and um, I think I think there's definitely an aspect of not wanting to to meddle too much in, in the format. It's a little bit more fragile. The very high cost of buying in, and the history of the format, and the amount of people like playing the same type of decks, and also the lack of any you know large Wizard of the Coast um sponsored competitive events until recently that is um really kind of let it get swept under the rug and kind of just be left to its own devices and you know miracles being the best deck in the format was definitely not the worst place uh an eternal format like legacy could be in right like um could you imagine if you know dredge had been that dominant for that that length of time for some reason if there was like if they had an answer for the hate right um the format just wouldn't have survived and maybe wizards would have stepped in at that point i don't know but uh miracles was definitely not that far um down the spectrum of of miserable decks to play against it was a skill intensive deck it was um a deck people really enjoyed playing and some people at least enjoyed playing against um but definitely there was a lot of people that didn't like playing against it as an elves player i was not a fan yeah yeah one mana wrath of gods at instant speed are never fun for a creature based deck that's for sure but specifically we want to talk about you know why why would you play legacy what got you into legacy chris um you've you know kind of gotten into the format a little bit more recently than i have what was it that, that pulled you in was it uh, the endless nagging of your friends or was there something else that caught your eye well i was first exposed to legacy mostly on the scg tour um because they would be they'd be uh, streaming legacy events all the time yeah that's what got me into and so i would go and watch them and i was like man this this format looks pretty fun but uh, it was really hard for it's really hard for someone to buy in i mean god what's the price of like an underground sea right yeah it's like 300 something these days and yeah i certainly had 
did not have that kind of money at at the time that I was, you know, first getting more competitive into the game, which is kind of why I ended up building Belger as my first deck. It was not the cheapest legacy deck in existence. I mean, you could play like Mandalist Dredge would be cheaper. Um, Oops, all spells, I'm sure, is much cheaper as well. Even Burn, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, maybe even Burn. This Burn doesn't need Lion's Eye Diamond. But since Legacy wasn't a format that I could play very often because there just weren't that many events, uh, I wanted to have a deck that I could play Legacy event in if I so desired, but didn't have to invest a whole lot of money into, and frankly, I didn't even have to invest that much time into the Legacy event either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Belcher's a deck you can kind of do most of your practice on your on your lonesome right, and then you don't care so much about what your opponent's up to. Like, oh, some sweet new deck. Well, I don't have to know what you're up to because I'm just gonna belch you. Yeah, so playing a non-interactive uh, degenerate decks was probably a, one of the easier ways to get into the format as far as like the learning curve is concerned. You know, if your plan is to just kill your opponent on turn one, you don't need to learn very much of anything except for oh. This is my opponent's man land make blue mana. Beware of force of will, I guess. But most of the time, you either you your hand beats it or it doesn't, <laughs> and they either have it or they don't. So yeah, it's the ultimate uh, ultimate test, right? Yeah, but then once there started being more events, and they were all ten proxy events, which meant it was uh, actually possible to play other decks. Then I was I was kind of looking for for something because I was a a fairly long time amulet player in modern and i really really enjoyed that deck because there was a lot of uh, different decisions you had to make and a lot of like manipulation of physical manipulation of cards of untapping your lands retapping your lands casting things searching for things activating things there's just a lot of game actions you're taking and which which i enjoyed you like touching your cards (laughs) so i was looking for a, a deck that was somewhat similar to that and um i feel like legacy elves in some strange way is about as close as i've found to um to modern amulet if that makes any sense no i definitely see a similarity i've definitely noticed that because a lot of times you you know what elf you played on turn one is like pretty relevant you know you mentioned the uh, the 10 proxy thing and i think that's a huge part of why we've been so successful in getting legacy off the ground in uh in sacramento county um there's just so many more people that can turn out and play and there's there's been a few uh you know uh sanctioned events that have been run here and there and the turnout's just not as good um it really isn't and um when we were prepping for um vegas gp vegas with you know the the legacy portion we really had to campaign really hard to get people to come out lend cards to one another and really prepare to make sure they would actually be able to play their decks without proxies it was like a big thing i had like a a legacy boot camp that i really tried to get people to come to to come and practice and just frankly meet with people and set up deals to share cards so people could actually play their decks um because it's really hard to get people to come and fill out a legacy event without you know 10 proxies um and it's really hard to you know get a a a flexible and interesting meta right um if you do succeed in getting a a non-proxied meta it's rare that people are going to have more than one deck and um when you're playing with proxies and everyone's playing you know with proxies you know you know maybe you have maybe you have 75 cards but maybe you know this guy over here doesn't have forcible you can lend him your forcibles play with four proxied ones and now he gets effectively four extra proxies to play in this deck right so um you really get people experimenting a lot more and trying new things and uh, our meta's been pretty flexible like it's it's not the same decks every time at least not entirely there's a few people that have you know kind of like um 
archetypes, generally speaking, they like to stay within. But there's been definitely people tweaking and trying things out. Yeah, I mean, the the average cost of a legacy deck goes way down if you just remove the 10 most expensive cards. Yeah, definitely. And that's where the modern collection comes in. If you're a, if you're a modern player of a decent collection and you have access to, to 10 proxies, um, it's pretty easy to put together a legacy deck. Um, it's not it's not very hard. If, if you've got a modern deck, there's probably a rough analog in legacy. Um, you know, legacy Jund is not an unreasonable deck. It's not a, a hugely popular deck, but it's still pretty solid and you can put it together with you know some proxies pretty easily if you play it in modern um if you play any kind of a blue deck in modern a delver deck is probably not too big of a reach um and so on and so forth so you can really uh you can really kind of slide into the format easier than most people would think yeah i mean i i don't play elves in modern at all but i was able to build 10 proxy elves quite easily I just would proxy four guys' cradles, two bayous, and the four glimpse of natures. And then all of a sudden, the next most expensive card became surgical extraction, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the cost just plummets at that point, right? I guess I'd say that one of my biggest misconceptions about Legacy was that I was just going to you know, shuffle up and then just die to storm on turn two every single game or just you know get belched or you know get dredged on or you know just play against all these ridiculous unfair decks all the time and just get crushed and lose but from watching the scg tour and from playing the format that's not really what it's like at all in some ways the format feels slower than modern i agree i definitely feel like the format feels slower than modern on average Especially as uh, more recently, modern has kind of sped up a little bit. Legacy feels like a, a little bit s- slower format. And I, in fact, as modern has sped up, legacy has actually slowed down almost, almost in tandem. The metas have shifted. Um, I don't know. If, I don't think it's related at all. It's just been a coincidence. But I definitely noticed that. Because like, there's no. I mean, there's a legacy burn deck, but there's no real like just small creature aggro deck. Like, there's no. Legacy Zoo deck, or well, I guess some people might argue there's Legacy Affinity, but the the problem is is that you're not playing Shocklands, right? You're playing duels, and so um, the modern aggressive decks get that huge, you know, like four to five, even more sometimes free life off of an opponent just taking damage from their own lands. I mean, if you deal four damage yourself with lands, that's twenty percent of your life that you've just given away to your aggro opponent for free. Exactly. And you're just not doing that in Legacy. Um, I mean, you can play a pretty robust game off of two fetched lands. Um, you know, maybe you drew one. I mean, you've got, you're likely playing cantrips to draw into, you know, actual dual lands. You don't take a lot of damage from your mana in Legacy at all. I mean, the only decks that really take any sort of damage off their um, lands are the uh, Ancient Tomb decks. But those decks are generally playing some, you know, very hateful artifact, which makes playing aggro very difficult. Yeah, Chalice of the Void on one is uh, pretty close to a death nail for most aggressive decks in in Legacy or Modern. So, like, could um, you imagine trying to play you know, Modern Burn against a turn one Trinisphere? <laughs> yeah, it's awful. Um, you just scoop on the spot. I feel like. 
I mean, there's there's a reason that you know the uh, the really hyper aggressive red decks in Legacy play you know three to four Smash the Smithereens in the sideboard. <laughs> um, when I play blue red Delver, I definitely come pack in my Smash the Smithereens because you will just straight up get stopped dead in your tracks by a by a Chalice deck if you don't. I guess that's an aspect of of Legacy that's interesting is the format is policed in a variety of different ways, right? There's a lot of pressure from different angles, kind of forcing out different types of of uh of play patterns i guess the thing is like legacy has much better answers than modern does so a lot of the threats as you said like the creatures are usually pretty similar like something like young primancer or delver's secrets or gurmog angler you know these are all modern legal cards but the answers that legacy has are much better i mean you have you know zero mana counter spells you have yeah you have stuff like swords to plowshares yeah, source of plowshares gets rid of whatever you want, and you don't take a huge tempo loss by giving them a land. You still get to keep all the same removal you had in modern. Yeah, so if the creatures haven't gotten any better, but all the answers have, it kind of makes sense why it would slow down the format. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting because um, you know, like uh, the the loss of miracles to the format has kind of seen the format slow down. I feel like, and I I wonder if that's because miracles kind of forced decks to try to get under it. Um, before the the lock kind of came down and and uh, kicked him out of the game, and maybe now that that's not as much of a threat, people are kind of easing easing off on the gas, playing uh, a little bit more greedy decks. You're seeing a lot of four colored Deathrite Shaman, Leovold, uh, grindy decks trying to actually get some card advantage now, which is something that you know I feel like in Legacy uh, hasn't been that common um, until recently, um, at least not in the last few years. Um, People weren't really playing towards card advantage. They were really just trying to be really hyper-efficient, get a lot of, of card selection, card quality, and um, people would be just trading one-to-one resources until you both ended up empty-handed and were just top-decking a lot of the time. And um, you're seeing decks like um, Check Pile and uh, uh, Reed Duke's um, uh, kind of Trune Nemesis aggro deck. I mean, not aggro deck, Trune Nemesis, like mid-range deck that was uh, same play like early last year and uh, stuff like that are just kind of more focused on a card advantage game and uh, really efficient answers. It's interesting. Um, the format is just in a really great place right now. There's so, so much interaction with the cards that you can play and so many decisions. It just makes it really, really fun. And and uh, I feel like a lot of that comes from the the uh, the just like I was saying before, the card selection, the cantrips in the format. And it's 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 interesting because I'm looking at this from the perspective of, of someone that basically always plays blue. And uh, you don't. So I'm, I'm curious to get your input on it. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I mentioned earlier that I, you know, would be hesitant. I said I'd be hesitant to play Legacy Without Forceful in my deck. Yet, that's exactly what I do. <laughs> I do not play uh, any blue spells in Legacy at all. And I will say that I have not been belched yet. <laughs> you are the guy that plays Belcher locally. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm, I'm that guy. <laughs> You're that guy. Um, so, I mean, I do play Blue and Modern on, on occasion, but not always. That's just, that's just Blue Light. <laughs> what? It's Blue Light. It's like, it's not it's not full, full. It's not, it doesn't have all the calories, man. It's, uh, it's <laughs> Diet, Diet Blue. blue. <laughs> so... Yeah, I, I've never cast a brainstorm. As weird as that sounds, <laughs> I mean, I, I've won a legacy GPT and I've never cast a brainstorm. Man, you didn't. You can't give me crap for how slow I am brainstorming anymore. Then I'd like to see how fast you brainstorm. Mm-hmm. I have spent zero time brainstorming in my life. You can't say that. 
You've never cast it in Cube? You've never played Popper? I've never played Popper. Oh, you should. Speaking of Diet Legacy. <laughs> so I, it's a little bit of a narrow lens for Legacy for me because while I don't play... But my my deck variety in Legacy is, is much much smaller than in Modern. Right, I I only really have two decks to play, either Belcher or Elves. But I'd say like when I'm playing Elves, I don't so much miss the fact that I can't cast Ponder or whatever because I have access to cards like Green Sun Zenith and Deathrite Shaman. Right, so just overall the options all around are just so much so much better. Like Weiss. Why spend one blue to look at three cards when I can spend two green and put any creature that I want into my deck into play? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you were uh, casting Greenson against me uh, on Sunday, and, and you sat there trying to decide like which of which one drop out of like four or five potential options you wanted to get, and it was like a real head-scratcher for you. Yeah, it was because <laughs> it was like, do I want a Nettle Sentinel for more mana with this Heritage Druid, or do I want a second Death Threat Shaman to speed up the clock, or do I just want a Wirewood Symbiote to potentially protect an elf but also speed up the clock with Death Threat Shaman, or should I just get... a a Korean Ranger, because that also speeds up the clock with Death Ride Shaman. But it's also, I can use my mana more efficiently, because I can pick up a land and replay it. Yeah, just so many options. The the play patterns are just so much deeper, right? Yeah, most of the time, it's when I'm playing Modern, it's pretty clear um, what the best line is, or, or what the best two lines are, I guess. But I'm playing a deck like Elves, and a lot of the times, I'm, I'm really not sure which of, you know, two to three lines is going to be better because so much of it has to do with what my opponent is doing or what my opponent draws and i feel like it the games just go deeper like okay my opponent pondered but didn't shuffle so does that mean that he kept like a sweeper on the top two cards of his deck and if so then maybe i should go get a symbiote you know to pick up an elf so i can help rebuild later oh you know he shuffled so maybe i shouldn't really be playing around this one of sweeper in his deck so i should just you know vomit all my elves into play <laughs> get blown up by toxic deluge anyway <laughs> so um you've kind of come down on playing more unfair decks in legacy i, I think it's fair to call uh elves uh, an unfair deck would you agree um i think it's the fairest unfair deck i guess that's fair <laughs> <laughs> i mean elves, elves <laughs> is a combo deck um I guess it's. Would you say it's more or less of a combo deck than uh, lands? I would say. I would say less. More. I, I would say more. Really? I feel like lands like without making a twenty twenty, which is like their combo or whatever. It's very hard for them to kill you. Yeah, I guess I'm looking at it from the perspective of back when they were killing people with like barbarian ring before they had easy access to the combo with Thespian stage. Yeah, I guess that's fair. They, they're definitely looking to a combo um, pretty aggressively, but I mean, so is elves in a lot of games too, right? Like you just want to plop down that turn for natural order pretty frequently. Oh, well, I guess that's where we differ. I, I don't consider playing natural orders on a combo. Oh, I feel like when my opponent resolves one card and it kills me, <laughs> <laughs> feels like a combo. <laughs> green creature plus other green creatures plus natural order equals you die lol <laughs> maybe that's not the best strictest most strict uh interpretation but i feel like i feel like when your opponent's casting uh one card that uh, kills you unless you force of will it it sure feels like combo <laughs> i mean it's uh, to me i feel like i'm calling the elves but i'm going off with glimpse because that's when i feel like i'm doing something truly unfair right yeah, because if your natural order gets countered, like 
you often just kind of lose the game. Yeah, you're down a creature, down a lot of mana, down a card. And it's it's really bad to get your natural order countered. But if they counter your glimpse, you know, at least you still have all your creatures in play. We can rebuild. But I I guess, definitely in modern, I feel like it's much better to be proactive as a whole. It's I, I just feel like it's generally stronger to to have a proactive plan. And I think in Legacy that I think it still holds true. I mean, there, there's no really like hardcore control deck in Legacy now that Miracles is gone. No, Miracles was that deck, right? Yeah. Like yeah. these Stoneblade decks, they're not really control decks. They feel more like it. I mean, it's no more of a control deck than like Modern Jund is. Well, it's because they have counter spells. <laughs> But yeah, they're definitely on the mid mid range end of the spectrum, right? Yeah, they don't. There, there's no real, there's no draw go deck in Legacy. I think maybe Not the closest anymore. draw go deck we have is High Tide. <laughs> Let's just draw play land go. I'm not gonna interact with you. <laughs> just I'm ignoring you till I have four mana, unless you're imminently threatening to kill me. But I, I would hesitate to call it a control deck in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. Yeah. You tend to uh, to like the fair decks. Yeah, I yeah. I really like the tempo decks, especially. Um, it just feels really good uh, being able to play in a format where you can play just such efficient spells. Um, Delver and Legacy particularly is all about keeping your, your opponent in what they call like stage one of the game, right? Like that initial turn to two turns of, of game right you you want to kind of freeze the game in in that area you want to um aggressively disrupt their mana with stuff like wasteland and stifle um you know, try to keep both players on a low base of resources and then just use your just really efficient spells, stuff like days to uh just squeeze kind of like blood out of the stone right and just get damage in with your you know your delver your uh your young pyromancer your nimble mongoose if you're still playing rug um just uh, it just feels so good to me to be able to you know everything in the deck practically costs one or zero mana and um your opponent's over there trying to like answer your threat and you just you're just kind of like it's like that scene in the matrix where neo is kind of like blocking all of agent smith's like you know his uh karate chops and punches and he's just kind of like lazily batting them out of the way that's kind of what it feels like on the good games of delver it's just such a great feeling um and that's really really turbocharged by the the excellent cantrips and legacy brainstorm and ponder just do such a good job of letting you find exactly the cards you need for every game and most of the skill in playing those type of decks comes from sequencing and and selecting cards off your cantrips properly if you choose correctly you will basically be a step ahead of your opponent for the entire game because you've you've already got all the answers right you've you've already seen the future grab the cards you need and you're you're a step ahead of them the entire way and if you choose poorly then the whole house of cards comes crumbling down <laughs> quite rapidly yeah so Delver's a pretty efficient deck and legacy is a much uh, more efficient format as a whole which is why i found it very Funny that um, there are some things Legacy decks have a much harder time dealing with than in Modern. Usually these really big random creatures like Baneslayer Angel. (laughs) Because since all the threats in Legacy are usually very low to the ground and efficient, that, you know, cards like Abrupt Decay 
And now we have Fatal Push. You know, they, they clear away most everything. Except for things like Baneslayer Ranger or, what, Storm Breath Dragon? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, Lightning Bolt is still an amazing removal spell in Legacy. And that, that kind of speaks to the... the the efficiency and, and low to the groundness of the format and when uh, when people start trying to you know ramp out these you know more mid-rangey cards that see play in formats like modern or even standard sometimes you can get kind of flat-footed uh and and unable to to deal with them right like your your super cheap hyper efficient spells usually trade trade that efficiency in for narrowness and once something kind of gets introduced or presented to you that's outside that scope uh it can be really difficult like if you're you know playing a deck that relies on using lightning bolts and counter magic to uh to deal with your opponent's creatures and you know their blockers basically um you know what do you do against something like a carnage tyrant <laughs> like how do you ever beat that card right like <laughs> i mean i guess your the idea is you just go you go faster and you try to disrupt their mana but yeah some of these kinds of more like standard creatures really um can be real hard to deal with for a lot of legacy decks um i think uh, Swords to Plowshares flexibility keeps a lot of that in check. Which is why I brought up uh, Stormbreath Dragon with protection from white. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've seen like um, the uh, like the Monument Sneak Attack or a Dragon Stompy list sometimes playing a Stormbreath and it's it's it really funny. Yeah, like Stormbreath is pr- practically unanswerable. Um, yeah, like Diabolic Edict yeah, or, um, and Liliana the Veil. Are, I don't know. Yeah, like there's not a lot of clean answers for that card. Um, I mean, it gets countered real good. Um, maybe your opponent's got a, a Hydro Blast in their sideboard, but uh, yeah, man, a Resolve Stormbreath Dragon is incredibly difficult to deal with in Legacy. Even the, uh, the Blade decks that sometimes try to fog up things a little bit with Lingering Souls are <laughs> not gonna be able to deal yeah. with that card <laughs> no luck but yeah i think like what you hit on earlier about you know you you felt like when you were coming into the format that you were just gonna get you know uh, just obliterated by these combo decks um it's not really um how it actually plays out i mean there's you know the occasional game where you just get blitzed by someone with a really good you know um a really good draw playing a, a belcher or a or manalist dredge but um the format share that these decks have is, is pretty low um force of will is kind of uh, a looming specter over these decks whenever you know you enter an event and um you really have to decide if you want to roll the dice and and see how many force of walls you can dodge for the day and not a lot of players make that choice so you're going to be dealing with um slower combo decks and fair decks for the most part and um the 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 inner the interplay between the fair decks and the combo decks and even the combo decks with each other is actually quite interesting there's a lot of nuance to it um so you're not just getting you know um obliterated if you don't have force of will you're very frequently um you know playing a a resource game kind of a a little bit of chicken too over you know information setting stuff up um either using discard or counter spells to try to catch the combo player at you know critical junctures and the combo player is trying to you know as quickly as possible shape a hand that works around what your uh, whatever disruption your opponent's presenting so um there's a really a lot of nuance to play against these decks and and most most big decks in the legacy format come equipped to deal with these combat decks in some way shape or form um your elves deck has you know how many pieces of discard that it brings in out of the sideboard oh, anywhere from six to the full eight yeah so um we were playing you know this weekend i guess i'm playing a combo deck and you know you're playing 
you know elves like it's a mono green deck you know pre-board basically the black is just for death ride shaman activations and um you went Thoughtseize, cobble therapy flashback cobble therapy cobble therapy flashback cobble therapy Thoughtseize, yeah. i believe in our game too um so yeah the combo decks are not always as scary as you would think um people come prepared and um the games are still usually quite interesting so um i i to anyone that's you know hesitant to get into legacy because they're worried about it just being a degenerate combo format i would say you know watch some watch some coverage even if it's older coverage back when there was more of it and you know kind of maybe potentially reevaluate how often you think people are really just getting blown up <laughs> um so yeah death Red shaman a card that briefly was allowed in modern and for those of us who remember that time know that uh jund was the cat's meow and uh ultimately deemed too powerful for modern good riddance but um yeah it's well it's everywhere in legacy yeah it's it is the defining card of the format right now i feel like i mean you, you with with legacy there's this um this base layer it's the uh the bedrock and that's like brainstorm ponder force of will wasteland those never really enter into the conversation when you're talking about like changes to the format and things being shaken up because they're just kind of like that all pervasive base like layer the format is built on but once you take those out of the equation death right shaman is just like the card in the format that is like moving and shaping things right now Death shaman just so insane i mean it's a one two <laughs> yeah it blocks blocks stuff like uh goblin recruiter real good <laughs> almost single-handedly killed that deck no more goblins in legacy i have not seen not seen a goblin in many a year now it just really makes games really awkward. Like, if maybe you really wanted to fetch for your Volcanic instead of playing your Underground Sea on the first turn for whatever reason, but your opponent goes non-fetch land Deathrite Shaman, like, how willing are you to just put a land in the graveyard to give your opponent three mana on turn two? Yeah, the, uh, it's, Deathrite is like a card of many games, right? Like, sub-games. There's, like, you put a Deathrite Shaman on the board and suddenly these new sub-games open up. And then, should you also play a Deathrite Shaman, the games only go deeper. Which is part <laughs> of what makes the elf deck so much fun to play. To me, when my opponent has Deathrite Shaman, I have Deathrite Shaman, but I also have ways to untap my Deathrite Shaman, which, by the way, is an elf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good job, Watsi. Good job. And you have, yeah, it just leads to this this crazy mini game of. Well, you know, should I activate my death rod on his end step to try and bait him into using his? That way I can untap and use mine for what I really wanted it to do. You know, or do I just wait for him to try and do something so I can stop him? It just makes games really complicated. I mean, it is a one-mana planeswalker, right? And let me just go over this here, because I, I, I really want to hammer this in for people that just haven't played with death right or that don't respect this card, because I just can't get over it. It's, it's a one-mana card. It has three abilities one it can ramp you for the low cost of having a land in either player's graveyard uh it does damage that can't be blocked it also does damage that can be blocked well, the damage also can't be prevented because it's not actually damage it doesn't target so it gets around things like ley line of sanctity if that's ever relevant it puts you out of reach in games where your life total is being pressured because it can gain you life and it's incidental main deck hate 
in many decks in the format against graveyard uh, synergies and shenanigans. It keeps reanimator down. It keeps dredge down. Um, it's capable of blocking, which planeswalkers can't do. It can't be attacked by opponents' creatures directly like planeswalkers can. It gets the best of both worlds. There's not a lot of downsides to Deathrite being a creature instead of a planeswalker, and there's definitely a lot of upsides. The card is just insane. It is just a completely warping presence in the format. It can also be cast with two different colors of mana. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you're all you're almost like any deck that plays Deathrite, I can't imagine very many scenarios where you wouldn't be able to cast a Deathrite on turn one. Like, if you have a land and you have a Deathrite like your odds of casting that death right if you want are what 90 over 90 percent easily right like how many decks in legacy play neither green or black yeah the number is extremely low you're either playing something extremely degenerate like belcher or something or mono red sneak attack or like show and tell or high tide <laughs> or you're playing just guy stoneblade <laughs> Yeah, it's it's the soul it's the soul ring decks, right? It's the soul ring decks that generally don't play the death rites. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's you play it in you know uh, a deck that doesn't even have green mana. You just you know toss in a tropical island so you can maybe get that green source if you need to gain some life. It's just such a low opportunity cost, right? Yeah, I just oh man, death right. Uh, it's such a good card, and you know it's not <laughs> death right is. I feel like death right is an oppressive card, but it's oppressive in a very quiet way. Um, you know, it's not that miserable to play against. It's not, you know, it just quietly kind of steals, steals the game when no one's looking, you know, just, you know, it waits for you to stop paying attention and then kind of reaches around the counter and grabs the cash, walks out. <laughs> I mean, it's like, put it this way, Goblin Guide is so good because it's one mana, it deals two damage for, you know, as sometimes two turns, sometimes even three turns. Deathrite Shaman is a one mana card that deals two damage every turn for usually longer than three. Deathrite can just sit and play and just drain your opponent down from 10 plus life, and that's typical. Yeah. The uh, the old, you know, Bolt the Bird uh, applies a tenfold to a Deathrite Shaman. That card just needs to be kept off the table. Like, you just have to, if you have a Bolt in hand and, you know, they go turn one Deathrite, you just, like, you just have to Bolt it. Like, it's so bad. I mean, I've had quite a number of my turn one death threat shamans being force of willed. <laughs> the people gladly two for one themselves to to get a death right shaman, keep a death right shaman from coming down. Right, like it's just, and I, I don't, I'm not trying to like scare people off from the format because the format's super fun. Death right is, you know, at the, at the end of the day, a very a very interactive card. Right, interacts uh, with life totals in both directions. Interacts with graveyard to, to creature. So it interacts via combat by blocking if necessary. Gets chip damage in. But man, card is just so good so so good i'm just yeah i definitely should not be unbanded modern <laughs> it's interesting like uh you know these death right mid-range decks are almost an archetype unto themselves at this point right i guess a big part of that was you know the introduction of leave hold in the format really uh was even more incentive to be playing a death right deck like the two of them together are just such a one-two punch but also of note, you can uh, drain your opponent life with death right without letting them draw cards off their leave <laughs> yes very relevant Oh, Leovold is a whole nother conversation. I think I think that one will sort itself out eventually. Kind of like how True Name did when it came out. Everyone was all all a, a titter. Uh, how do we deal with True Name Nemesis? You know, and that's an interesting thing about the Legacy at this point in its life cycle. I feel like the biggest waves in the format are from Commander supplemental cards getting dropped on the format. Right? 
occasionally uh Wadsey just drops a bomb on the format everyone freaks out uh and and then you know it slowly adjusts and just kind of gets uh folded into the uh the fabric of the format you see true name all over the place now no one really blinks an eye it's just another card it's uh, a little annoying but that's just kind of par for the course in legacy right legacy is full of cards that are difficult to deal with and promotes uh good play patterns right so make sure you don't get true named <laughs> You don't care about your name. You just go around it, right? Yeah, true name is too slow. It's like unless it's holding a GTA. <laughs> in in most games, uh, true name nemesis might as well be a trained Armadon. <laughs> I mean, I guess there are times where yeah, actually, just just a trained Armadon. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's unblockable. I was gonna say like, oh man, you know, sometimes it means it makes it so I can't tackle all my elves because like like a block and kill one. It's like wait, but if it were a three three, that that would be the same. So <laughs> yeah. Literally the same, yeah. I mean, it's it's a trained Armadon that's unblockable from time to time. I guess is. I guess I would say the uh, the the worst thing about Deathrite Shaman to me is that I can't pump it with a Pendlehaven to save it from getting punishing fired. Good. That is uh, my only sorrow. <laughs> it's your only Deathrite Shaman related sorrow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I guess my big gripe with uh, with Deathrite is it's a, it's such a homogenizing force on the format. You have to have a damn good reason not to be playing Deathrite at this point. If you want to be playing a competitive deck, you really need to be asking yourself, why am I not playing Deathrite? What is my payoff for not playing Deathrite? Generally speaking, that means you are either a playing a combo deck. Or you are B playing a prison deck. If you don't meet those two criteria, you probably should be playing Deathrite. I think that's a a fair assessment, right? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a couple other you know quote fairish decks that don't play Deathrite. Like I mean, you played Blue Red Delver for for a little bit. Yeah, it's just not as good as uh, as Deathrite Delver decks though. <laughs> right, but I mean, you know, it, you a, don't have to play with a card if you don't want to. But he's he is quite good. Yeah, I mean, the reason I played Blue Red Delver is because I was uh, playing in non-proxied events, and I don't have underground seas. <laughs> I mean, it's a happy a happy accident that you know the Blue Red Delver deck with Price of Progress is quite good against the greedy mana bases people are playing right now. But um, I'd rather be playing Deathrite Shaman and just reducing my variance, right? Just playing a really solid, powerful Deathrite driven deck and you know try to leverage skill over my opponents instead of increasing variance by playing something like blue red delver um blue red delver is definitely like one of those decks where um you are getting a lot of raw front-loaded power but also just in return getting the opportunity to get absolutely blown out from time to time blue red delver is what kept me out of day two at uh vegas yeah you got a you know they got four lightning bolts four chain lightnings and you know what elves don't have four or more toughness so it seems real good to me <laughs> i went turn one elf bolt turn two elf bolt turn three elf chain lightning then i play another elf and he goes snap bolt Ah, oh, yeah feels good and then my hand consisted of lands and natural orders and i lost yep that happens <laughs> Uh, yeah. Game two, I went turn one elf. He went turn one grim lava mancer. Turn two fetch land bolt one elf lava mancer the other elf, and that was that was the game. <laughs> Imagine if he'd been playing dredge though. <laughs> like, what is that deck ever doing against dredge? Losing. But uh, enough about um, fair decks in modern. I'm uh, I'm looking to play something a little bit more unfair this week. I'm hoping to get Vintage Cube going this weekend, and my slot of the week 
that I want to be getting into my deck is I want to draft myself a Villainous Wealth at some point this weekend and play that in a Storm deck. Oh, that is a fun card. Have you ever played with that? Uh, yeah, the Villainous Wealth, it looks really bizarre until you play it, and then it's just so much fun. <laughs> like, I'm going to storm off with your cards. <laughs> Or you know, that's, just... a, that's a pretty sweet deck you got there, opponent. Real shame if uh, something were to happen to it. Oh man, yeah, that card is. This is the most fun to play. Oh, it's just it's, you know, it's an X. It's X, and then three. There's that you know that the Sultai colored you know little speed bump, and then after that, man, uh, X equals six or more. Ooh, ooh, baby, that's uh that's fun when you get to resolve one of those. Oh, it was pretty sweet. I had a villains both cast against me, and uh, I think it was for maybe six, five or six, something like that. And he hit like two cards he couldn't actually cast because <laughs> the mana cost was uh, too high. Wow. Oh, it was uh, he was like Crater Hope or something. Right? Yeah, what was the Crater Hope theme? So disappointing. Uh, yeah, I remember that he was playing a deck that didn't have like any of its own win conditions, right? Yeah. Like when, <laughs> he was just his win condition was like villainous wealth you kill you with your stuff, and then he just completely whiffed. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so what's what's your soul of the week, Chris? What are you trying to get into your deck? So I I was thinking about breaking out the old amulet deck again for this this coming Friday night, and it's not really a response to the format because if anything, this format looks pretty awful for amulet um, with all this storm running around, storm and affinity. But our storm meta is very affinity light. It's always been that way for some reason. But some weeks it is storm heavy. But in any case, people at Great Escape seem to like playing um, creature decks, you know, like elves and merfolk and so i was thinking about what in my what flex slot i should play an amulet to just just get these people <laughs> so i think i'm gonna go ahead and uh slot in a bonfire of the damned oh man yeah, that's a 50 dollar card <laughs> oh wait <laughs> it was a 50 dollar card a few years ago yeah bonfire so uh, another reason why bonfire is quote so good in the deck is there are times where i've wanted to have sweeper effects like a pyroclasm or something but my creatures are actually important to me like i don't want my azusta to die i don't want my cigar tribe scout to die and bonfire is one-sided so being able to just pay five mana to pyroclasm just your opponent is actually not all that bad yeah it seems pretty solid to me so even if you don't miracle it, I mean, if you were fine playing four mana to make a 2-2 Ballista to kill a 2-2, I think one more mana to kill all the 2-2s is perfectly fine. Yeah, it seems a lot better to me. <laughs> okay, well, I guess that about wraps us up. Thank you for checking us out and sticking around to the very end. If you're wondering where you can check us out, head on over to mtgconflux.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter under the same name, mtgconflux. And if you have any suggestions or comments that you'd like us to read, please feel free to email us at themtgconflux at gmail.com. Again, we really do appreciate you sticking around, and we hope you'll join us in the next one. Later. Later.